Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be discussing Trevor Loudon and his apparent support for the Great Reset. I'm a little shocked by this, but at the same time, I'm not shocked because I understand how, you know, Providence discernment work. But nonetheless, I am certainly disappointed and I want to make it clear that I like Trevor Loudon. That's why I'm doing this video. Uh, I'm even wearing his shirt and by his shirt, I'm talking about the enemies within the church shirt that I have. And I was a big fan of that documentary. Trevor Loudon is a co-belligerent in the fight against cultural Marxism and communism. He is a fervent anti-communist. Uh, he was a producer of the Enemies Within the Church documentary because he wanted to fight the cultural Marxist in the church because he recognizes, even though he's a atheist, as far as I know, he recognizes that a strong church is vital to fighting back against communism. He recognizes that. And unlike, you know, a certain James Lindsay, who's happy to take our money, I don't think Trevor Loudon hates Christians. So I, I do want to throw that out there. So he is a very valuable co-belligerent, but apparently he supports the Great Reset, which we're going to dive into because he's very fervently pro-Ukraine, as we're going to discuss. And he is pushing some boomer level nonsense and what really also shows in this are the issues that he's silent about. And I think the silence is just as telling as his bad boomer con take. So first, before we dive into this, I want to let you know about evangelicaldarkweb.org join. This is where you can go to support our work here. Uh, it's a Patreon-like system that we built uh, because Patreon censors. And so does YouTube and so does uh, Google AdSense and all this other stuff. So all this stuff is censored, but you know you can support our work here. Uh, Evangelical Dark Web, however, is as censor-proof as it gets. There's articles every day, more articles than videos or podcasts. And the least you can do is, if you can't do all that, is drop a like and subscribe if you are new. So anyway, we're going to be looking at a video that he did. It's the first video he's done in a while. And it's about will the future of Europe be decided in Ukraine? And he kind of makes it seem like the future of the world will be decided in Ukraine. So we're going to watch this. Uh, we're going to actually watch it at normal speed because he talks sufficiently fast enough. And hopefully... Uh, Come to another smooth. episode of Trevor Loudon's Counterpunch, the show that details the unfolding world communist revolution and how we can push back. Now, as you may notice, I'm not in my usual jacket and shirt. I'm wearing my Slava Ukraine t-shirt. So you can probably guess what I'm going to talk about today. Now, I'm going to do something unusual today. I want to quote extensively. I'm going to read the whole thing out. It's a speech recently written by Oleksiy Reznikov, the Ukrainian Minister of Defense. And I think it... Now, was he the one that was fired? I, I got it. Because they did a lot of change because Ukraine was losing Solidar. And they're pretty much about to lose Bakhmut, which is a very strategic point along their uh, uh, defensive line. So anyway, I got to point out the fact that he's wearing a Slava Ukrainian shirt, which is really gay. And it's, you know, just kind of him just debasing himself to support a country that is w evil. Like Ukraine is an evil country. They have done nothing for the United States except bad things. They've been pretty much a piggy bank and a money laundering shop for our corrupt politicians. 
So I have no love for Ukraine on those grounds. They also sold like nuclear weapons technology or secrets, trade secrets to North Korea. So a lot of reasons not to like Ukraine as a country. And they're certainly not an ally of the United States. Nonetheless, you know, we are supposed to care about them, apparently. We're supposed to care about their national interest, even when their national interests don't really align with our national interest, except as it relates to this propaganda war. Because that's really what this is about. We're, we are so invested in a propaganda war. It just sums up beautifully what is happening in Ukraine and the urgency um, of Western support. Now, I know this is a very controversial subject, on the, on, especially amongst the conservatives of, of Europe and the United States. But please bear with me. I want, I want to read out the speech in total, and then I want to make some of my own comments and add to it. So here we go. In an essay for the Atlantic Council published in... Dis I got to point out that he has, like, dramatic music. I don't know if this is, like, the music from Call of Duty, you know, Modern Warfare or something, but... Overly dramatic music for something that is not dramatic or is he's trying to emotionally manipulate you when churches do this in sermons. It's emotionally manipulative when movies do you know, have a, a score. It can be emotionally manipulative. It's supposed to be. It's part of the storytelling experience, but it, it can also fall flat at times and you notice it. But anyway, this is for emotional manipulation and. I find it strange. December 2021, I stated that Europe's future would be decided in Ukraine. One year on, what may have earlier seemed like a bold statement is now a recognizable fact. Ukraine has become Europe's shield, defending the continent along a two and a half thousand kilometer front line. With each new success of the Ukrainian army, the threats facing NATO and the European Union diminish. Over the last 10 months, Ukraine has destroyed a large number of Russian army units that have been training for decades to attack the West. Russia's military potential will take years to recover. Ukraine's heroism has won Europe precious time to rethink its approach to security and defense. This re-evaluation should begin with a frank reflection of the events of the past 12 months. Every single pre-war Ukrainian... I want to point out the fact that Zelensky is wearing a suit in this image. And I saw recently that he was wearing a suit when he was meeting with Trump. He was wearing a suit pretty much before the war. So after the war started, you know, he took up this act, and it's an act of wearing a green shirt everywhere. That's just something to point out. Because it's all a propaganda war. He's used a lot of green screens. He's used a lot of uh, uh, speeches. And he's kind of like Viserys in Game of Thrones, where he's kind of like a beggar king. Except, you know, unlike Viserys, this guy's actually getting something. He's getting a lot of money. He's getting a lot of uh, weapons and stuff. Uh, and he's gotten a lot of foreign mercenaries to fight for him as well. Warning regarding the likely consequences of a full-scale Russian invasion have come to pass. From millions of refugees to global energy and food crises, one year ago Germany's leaders were still insisting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was a purely economic project. It is now painfully obvious that there can be no return to the business as usual with Putin's Russia. 
Since the Russian invasion began on February 24, the international community has taken a number of appropriate steps to sanction Russia and has provided Ukraine with vital support that has changed the course of the war. Nevertheless, the fact remains that we requested most of these steps prior to the invasion, only to be told that that was impossible. This caution has proven extremely costly. Nor is the danger limited to Russia itself. In recent months, Moscow has sought to form criminal coalitions with other terrorist regimes. Russia and Iran are now testing cheap but deadly drone technology against Ukrainian civilian targets. So I want to talk about the drones because I've talked about that on this channel in the past. And these are these little cool cheap drones that are Iranian technology, but I think they're manufactured in Russia because they have some sort of like agreement there. So they're called like the Garin drones. Uh, but very cool, very cheap drones that can loiter. They can go a considerable distance for a uh, missile-like drone. And Ukraine can't really stop these things. They say they can stop these things, but then they kill two poles in a field. It will come as no surprise if these weapons are soon deployed elsewhere. Russian military technology... Actually, the success of these weapons is actually getting a lot of buyers for these weapons. So a lot of countries are signing up to buy these weapons because these drones are very effective. And what we're kind of seeing is like a changing of warfare. So there's a lot of emphasis on tanks currently. But you got to wonder, you know, drones over tanks, as you know, and artillery and all that other stuff. Because... They're cheaper. Technologies offered to Iran in exchange for their support in Ukraine pose a further threat to international stability. Both Russia and Iran have previously been offered ample opportunities to pursue policies of global integration on very generous terms. They have so global integration is code for a new world order. I just want to be clear about that. You know, I want the United States to be unglobally integrated. I want us out of the United Nations. I want, you know, all these nations to get out of the European Union. The European Union is also an anti-American organization. It's pretty much founded to thwart American economic interest. You know, so there's that. But you can't be a sovereign nation and in the European Union. You sacrifice your sovereignty. But in any case, the international community sucks. And I want, you know, I want us to be out of it because it's bad for us. The UN is bad for us. And he wants all these other nations to join. And he doesn't see that, you know, the UN and NATO and the European Union, these organizations, along with the World Economic Forum, which we're going to talk about shortly, are all part of this new world order or Great Reset. So it's interesting how he talks about these regimes, but again, we're going to talk about the regimes that he does not talk about. They have consciously chosen confrontation and have sought to weaponize everything from energy and food supplies to migrants and social media. 
This proves the folly of earlier efforts to appease Vladimir Putin and gives a strong indication of what we can expect if Western leaders do not adopt a more resolute stance. Today's already alarming security will only deteriorate if Russia is not decisively defeated in 2023. The world has already paid a terrible price for handing Russia the geopolitical initiative. For Ukraine, this has included tens of thousands of lives and destruction on a scale not witnessed in Europe since World War II. For the wider international community, the economic costs can already be counted in the trillions of dollars. Clearly, it's time to... So you want to talk about inflation? You know what's inflating the economy is loaning Ukraine a bunch of money. Because do you know how loans work? When you loan, if, if a bank has $1 and loans out $1, your prints money. So we've been printing money. Those monies are, that money exists now. That money's existent now. But it's also a loan. So it's also recorded as a dollar amount in the bank. We've pretty much inflated our economies to loan money to Ukraine. All this money that Ukraine is getting is inflationary. It's raising the cost of everything because you're increasing the supply of money. And he's blaming Russia for that. No, that, that's our own response. Because if Russia was at, or even still, if Russia even is to blame for that, their economy is not inflating. They're actually reducing inflation over there. So it's economic warfare in a sense, just like World War II. A lot of people don't realize that World War II was really like industrial economies facing each other just as much as armies facing each other. Uh, you know, Germans couldn't outproduce planes and tanks or automobiles. In fact, a lot of their army relied on horse transport, which is, you know, that's not, you don't see many videos of that because the Germans didn't want to show that off. They wanted to show off their industrial uh, logistics. But they relied on horses a lot. But anyway, we're to blame for inflating our own economy here. We're engaging in this proxy war at our own expense. And people realize that. To try a different formula. He is absolutely right in what he's saying. If Ukraine falls, China will attack the Far East, probably the United States itself. The Middle East will turn into a bloodbath, a nuclear bloodbath. So let's tackle the, these hyperbolic hypotheticals uh, in order. So China attacking Far East, which basically means Taiwan. Uh, China has been at war with Taiwan pretty much forever, you know, since 1947, or really since the, you know, the Chinese communists and the Chinese and the Chinese nationalists fought their civil war. The Chinese nationalists escaped to Taiwan. It's kind of similar to what is it, the Ming Dynasty? So anyway, a lot of history with Taiwan being the uh, refuge for ousted regimes. So in any case, uh, they said all last year that China was going to invade Taiwan. China didn't. Instead, China seems more internally focused on some sort of crackdown. And who knows what's going on in China? I think it's a little too hyperbolic to suggest because it's kind of like a global warming forecast. We're still waiting. You know, your 12 years, you, you said, you know, we have a 12 years to fix a problem and we're already four years in and we don't really see the problem getting worse. You know, it, it's kind of like that.
So, uh, yeah. And then let's go to the Iran example. Iran also has some internal strife. I'm not sure how much of that strife is CIA. I'm not sure how much of it is genuine will of the people. Uh, I'm not sure what to think about that. But Iran also isn't uh, in position to start wars with all their neighbors. They're invested in proxy wars, like in Yemen, which was Obama's like you know crowning achievement until it wasn't. But I, I don't see Iran and the Saudi Arabians going to war with each other because there's too much money to lose. The Saudis will probably avoid that. And the Saudis and Iranians, like Iran doesn't exactly have a successful history of military offensives. They were at war with Iraq for eight years, I believe, in the 80s. The Iran-Iraq war. And that war didn't go great for either side. Uh, so I'm not really sure of I Iran's uh, potential here. So he, I'll let him finish the Iran talk. As Iran probably attacks Saudi Arabia and Israel, you will probably see. How is Iran going to attack Israel? Ballistic missiles? Israel's a nuclear power. Iran, they're not a nuclear power yet, or at least, you know, there's no evidence to suggest that they are a nuclear power. But you know, if Iran has ICBM technology, intercontinental ballistic missiles, sure, they could attack Israel. But Israel could then nuke them. Israel is not a weak country. We need to stop pretending it's a weak country. We need to stop giving them money because they're not a, a weak or poor country. They don't need our money. They don't need our military aid. They're big boys. They're the most powerful country in their region. And they also are a force of destabilization in that region. Uh, specifically with Syria. So, and obviously the United States did overthrow a stable regime in Iraq only for the last 20 years of Iraqi history to unfold, regrettably, because it wasn't worth it. But in any case, this is kind of nonsense. How is Iran supposed to get a war with Israel? Are they supposed to, you know, sail their armada around the Arabian Peninsula, go up the Suez Canal and beachhead invasion? Or are they supposed to traverse, you know, a thousand miles or so, at least, of desert to do so. Do people not realize how logistics works in war? And, you know, just because two countries look like they're close on a map, mean, you know, means that, you know, they can just, you know, have a supply line that is unfettered. The reality is a lot more difficult. Space is a lot more, you know, it's a lot bigger. The train is bigger. The North Korea attacks South Korea. You'll see the communist wave that's going through Latin America now spill over. I think South Korea or North Korea is really aware that 
they can't take on South Korea. Even more into the into North America under the guidance of Mexico's communist president AMLO. So the whole world hangs in the balance here, and Ukraine is standing in the gap, like the 300, the famous 300 at Thermopylae in ancient Greece, the 300 that stopped the Persian invasion of Europe. Okay, that's a that's not true. I mean, the Battle of Thermopylae is very myth mythicized, but the Persians eventually won that battle, and it was a stalling battle, and I believe it was the Battle of Marathon that actually saved Europe not Thermopylae. And, you know, this battle was a strategic victory in a sense, even though it was a tactical defeat uh, because it allowed the Greeks to gather their forces. But nonetheless, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to quibble with that because, you know, I, I think the Spartans are the most overrated of civilizations in ancient history. So I don't like the Spartans. It's a good analogy, I think. But I would go a little bit further than Reznikov again, because I think this isn't just a battle of imperial powers. This isn't just imperial Russia trying to re-establish this great, you know, the, the old Soviet empire. I believe that Russia is still guided by communists, is still run by the KGB, and they are an alliance with China and North Korea and Iran and Venezuela Cuba, Nicaragua, and several other nations. All the bad guys. And right now they're trying to change the world balance of power in their favor. And so, first of all, that's not... If you were one of those nations, you would also want to change the balance of power in your favor. But secondly, it's just kind of confusing to me. We're, we're supposed to care because... They're stopping these countries from establishing a balance of power, you know, balance of power theory, which is a very old school of thought as it relates to foreign conflicts and foreign policy. And balance of power theory was the dominant theory leading up to World War One. But the problem is because the idea of balance of power is, you know, you align yourselves with uh, if one nation's getting too powerful, you form an alliance against them. And if that alliance is too powerful, you form an alliance to counter that alliance. And the problem with balance of power theory is that it was believed that this would prevent war. But ultimately, balance of power theory made World War I what it was. That's what happened with balance of power theory. It prolonged and escalated a war. A very costly war. If that is achieved, that's the end of Europe. That's the end of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Africa, Latin America, and most importantly, the end of the United States of America. That's How? a thousand years of darkness from Ronald Reagan's famous phrase. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We talk about Putin because he's the... So, and this, I think, is the problem with Trevor Loudon. He sees a communist under every corner except his own. He's trying to talk about an axis of evil, but I look at, you know, I look at the Western countries and I see that we're the axis of evil. 
We defeated the Nazis only to take a bunch of their scientists. I mean, the Soviets did as well. Uh, you know, first round draft, stuff like that. You know, they had a draft or something like that. But then we adopt much of their ideology. Just we waited until 2020 to really implement it. But after the fall of the Soviet Union, NATO became what it was and NATO became a force of evil. You know, we became a destabilizing force. Uh, and we started unnecessary wars that were not beneficial to our national interest. And it's strange. And then we're the degenerate countries. We're the degenerate countries. We're exporting degeneracy everywhere. That's why the Taliban was able to keep recruiting all those years. Because they saw the American flag over there and they associate it with degeneracy. And that is in the messaging of the Russians. That was in the messaging of the Taliban. That's certainly in the messaging of, you know, a lot of conservatives in the country that, you know, we got to stop this degeneracy. We need to repent as a nation. But he's more focused on, you know, these communists who aren't really the old school communists. Maybe they're just, maybe they're despots, but I don't see how they're Marxist. I don't see how Vladimir Putin's a Marxist. Convenient leader. He's the face of the new Soviet Union, like, you know, Stalin used to be and Khrushchev and Brezhnev, etc. But really, since Stalin... Russia has been controlled by the intelligence services. No Russian leader, including Gorbachev, gets into power without the blessing of the intelligence services, what used to be called the KGB. Well, I want to look in the mirror right now, because what about America? You know how much the intelligence services help people rise and fall? How deeply embedded in the entertainment industry the CIA has been. Uh, who killed JFK? We could talk about that. I, I was like, look in the mirror. We have the same thing going on here. Same with Putin. Putin was a KGB guy. He's a Russian intelligence guy, head of the Russian intelligence services. Russia is attacking Ukraine because the Russian intelligence services, which are still communist to their bootstraps, want them to. If Putin died tomorrow, the war would continue because it isn't Putin's war. It's the KGB's war. It's the security intelligence, security apparatus's war. And the security apparatus is working with China and the other communist nations around the world to change the balance of power. So, yes, I support Ukraine. Absolutely. Do I support Joe Biden? Do I support the Democrats? Absolutely not. Do I, do I wish that we didn't have to spend all this money defending Ukraine and drawing down our own military resources? Absolutely. Do I understand that if Biden had been a patriot and really an American, he could have stopped this war even developing? He told Putin to go to war. He said a limited military incursion in Ukraine would not merit an American response. That was the green light. Since that time... You want him to say that we're going to go to war for Ukraine? 
You want Joe Biden to have said that if you invade Ukraine, we're going to declare war? That's insane. He's made a lot of noises and he supplied a lot of armaments, but not nearly as much as you think, might think. And a lot of the money, I believe, has been siphoned back to left-wing causes in the United States. So I will say this. The Ukrainians are the most slandered people in the world right now, just like American Trump supporters were slandered what? for several years. But Hold up now. Hold up now. Like, seriously? Do not compare. We are not the same. I'm going to count myself as a Trump supporter for this analogy. We are not the same. We don't support the Great Reset. By the same people. President Zelensky is probably the most slandered person in the world right now. Just as President Trump suffered five years of slander. Remember, President Trump was a big supporter of Ukraine. He put Putin in his box. He gave Ukraine lots of weaponry, lots of support, and Trump supporters now should stop watching the Russian propaganda and understand that America's survival depends on Ukraine's survival. That's nonsense. How is Russia going to invade the United States? They're not. But you know how they could invade the United States? Or it's not even they. It's like the Russians aren't the ones importing the ideology that's killing the United States. If anything, they seem to be on the other side. Again, they're a, them, Hungary, and Serbia seem to be opposed to all the degeneracy in the United States. And what he's saying is that we our future depends on Ukraine. It does not. If Ukraine falls, who cares? doesn't affect the United States. It doesn't. We can stress all about how it will, but it doesn't. The Domino's theory has not really proven true historically. Uh, the fall of Vietnam didn't exactly make all of South Asia communist. Uh, I think we are kind of successful in preventing uh, Nicaragua from expanding, but still... Uh, and I'm trying to think. Obviously, the... Uh, there, sometimes the domino goes the other way where it actually increases instability, like with the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring increased instability throughout the Middle East. And that was a bad domino effect. But in any case, NATO or Ukraine is not an ally of the United States. They're not in NATO. And Trump was wrong to give them military aid. And Trump is even now calling for a de-escalation of the war. Volodymyr Zelensky is one of the most corrupt politicians out there. He's a grifter. He's a sellout. He's a performer. He's a clown. And he's part of the Great Reset. He's a puppet for Ukrainian oligarchs. That's how he got where he is. And to invoke Trumpism to support Ukrainians in their fight for as a proxy for the Great Reset is just blindness. It's blindness. And to not realize that we're the bat we're the baddies now, 
like not just America. America is not the worst offender, but look at Canada. Let's talk about Canada for a second. Canada is actively euthanizing its citizens. There's a Canadian Holocaust going on right now. And they are an entirely culturally Marxist government and they have no means of resistance other than the Canadian truckers. They can't politically resist the cultural Marxism. They have no political apparatus. They have five left-wing parties in Canada. They have five communist parties in Canada, basically, that have every seat. Every seat in Canada is is owned by a left-wing pretty much a cultural Marxist, effectively one. And they're doing a Holocaust right now, euthanizing their own citizens like it's Soylent Green. And then you also look at Trevor Loudon's content, and he's conspicuously absent on the Great Reset. There's nothing about the World Economic Forum there, and about how all these people have a 2030 agenda and want to control our lives and the scary things that they talk about at the World Economic Forum. You don't hear him talk about that. Instead, you hear him try to insist that there are no Nazis in Ukraine. That's a lie. The Azov Battalion, I don't get it. I really don't get it. This is one of the things that confuses me. Why... Ukrainians are so invested in Nazi imagery and SS imagery, despite the fact that the Nazis hated the Slavs. I don't get it. Although I think the Ukrainians are like the least Slavic of the cousins of the ethnic Russians. But I still don't get it. It's very confusing to me. But for some reason a lot of Ukrainian soldiers out there embrace Nazi imagery. It's weird. And he tries to say that that's disinformation. He tries to say that that's propaganda. But in reality, we know of far more instances of Ukraine lying in this war than Russia. Ukraine, for instance, killed two Polish people and insisted even after getting caught that it was the Russians that did it. Uh, The ghost of Kiev, Snake Island... So many lies. So many lies that are all Ukrainian propaganda. And he's just gobbling it down. Because he has this boomer con mentality that the communists are outside of the house. Yet he's done total work on the enemy within. The enemies within the church, you know, which I'm wearing the shirt for, was a sequel to his documentary Enemies Within. Enemies Within was a, was more secular. It wasn't as religious. And yet he doesn't see that these Enemies Within have already taken over pretty much every English-speaking country except the United States. The Great Reset owns the UK. It doesn't matter who's their prime minister. They're all going to govern the same, the exact same. Uh, Canada, there's no apparatus to remove Justin Trudeau. And even if there was, there's four other left-wing parties that would take his place. Australia, there are brutal lockdowns and tyrannical regime there. New Zealand, their COVID Karen prime minister. The English-speaking world 
is under tyranny right now. And you don't hear him talk about that. He's talking about some distant communist threat. And it's just mind-boggling. So, anyway, I want to leave off by giving one last note of discernment. And as disappointing as this is, like, I'm disappointed. Like, I'm wearing, you know, the enemies within the church while I do this. I like Trevor Loudon. I've always had a positive, uh, you know, picture of him in my head, I guess. But for him to be such an anti-communist and so silent on the World Economic Forum, to say nothing about Canada and the tyranny there, or, you know, has he spoken about the tyranny in the Australia and New Zealand and South Africa? I think the Canadian tyranny is probably the most telling because that's a, you know, a culturally Marxist country. Their government is cultural Marxist incarnate. And that's what it looks like. It looks like Canada. You know, consider your options for healthcare. How about you just die? That's Canadian healthcare right now. And the amount of citizens that they're euthanizing, like it's Soylent Green, is astonishing. And it's probably only going to grow. So, but at the same time, so Trevor Loudon's all these things, but he's not a believer. He doesn't have the gift of discernment from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't uh, have a complete worldview to help him avoid falling into these traps. He doesn't have that. And so we find ourselves in the ironic position that a fervent anti-communist is on the side of the Great Reset. Because that's what the Russian-Ukraine war is. It's a proxy war between Davos and Moscow. I think we should stay out of it. But eventually, the yes, it. But eventually, what we've created is World War Three. It's World War Three because of how much NATO is invested in this war, and how much Russia is invested in this war. It's World War Three. Just by a different name, just by a proxy. And there's only, and the outcome of this war will be Ukraine will either run out of weapons or they will run out of bodies. And their country will be so depopulated. Because you got to think, historically speaking, France had a huge demographic advantage until after Napoleon was over. And then they didn't have the demographic advantage in Europe after that because of how many men died in war. This could depopulate Ukraine for pretty much for good. So we should want them to run out of weapons first. And then sue for peace. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. My name's Ray. And, you know, again, uh, we're going to do Christian news and commentary. And, you know, also as it relates to foreign policy, I believe in America first, not Israel first, not Ukraine first. I'm not going to wear some other country's flags. This flag behind me is the flag of the kingdom of Jerusalem. It's not a country anymore. Uh, It's a Jerusalem cross. Uh, representative of a crusader state. Because again, I like this imagery because it's, you know, spiritual warfare imagery and Christian nationalist imagery. But anyway, have a blessed day. Let me know about what you think about what I think. I will catch you on the next one.